0: Good morning. Good morning, lower area. You can talk. Good morning, balcony. Good morning, online. Wow, I heard a voice from online. That's amazing. You can put it in the chat if you want. I've got no idea whether that's happening or not. I've got no way of measuring that. My name's Ben. And it's my absolute privilege this morning to bring the Word of God to us. So if you want to get your Bibles open in Genesis 21, we're going to read that in a second. But let me just ask you a question to start off with. What makes you laugh? Rhetorical, don't need to hear from you at the moment. What makes you laugh? Lots of things can make you laugh. And as it's Father's Day, I wanted to see if some dad jokes would make you laugh. But well, you can't groan before I've done the joke. Which bear is the most condescending? A Pandur. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Why are elevator jokes so good? Because they work on so many levels. And my favorite one how do you get a farm girl's attention? Tractor. (laughs) For those not realizing the humor, let me explain. No, I won't. Sometimes when you have to explain a joke, it's not that good, but we've got laughs in the room. That's pretty good. Maybe that's the sort of thing that makes you laugh. Dad jokes. Maybe you scour YouTube for humorous videos of People on bowling greens doing impressions of Michael Jackson like this. (laughs) And also, we were chatting about this this week in the staff meeting. There's this idea that if you repeat something enough times, it becomes funny or funnier. So let's watch the video again. And we're going to watch it for a third time. I don't know what Stuart's looking out for, but he thinks he's going to trip over something. Last time. We've just tested that theory and it's not worked. It's not getting funny as it goes through. But if you listen to it with music, it's even more hilarious. Now, why am I asking that question? Because I want to ask you a subsequent question. Has God ever made you laugh? Has God ever made you laugh? Now, for those, those of us who were around in 94, 95, 96, there was a move of God where the spirit of God caused spontaneous laughter in people. That's been my personal experience, spontaneous laughter. But we're going to read a passage in the Bible, which according to my extensive five minutes of research, I think is the only only section in the Bible that points to specifically and explicitly where God makes someone laugh. Now, laughter appears in lots of different places, but here the Bible itself, in its own words, says God makes someone laugh. So I want us to focus on that moment. Really, I'm going to read the text out and then we'll get into it. So we're going to go from verse one in um, chapter 21 of Genesis. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. Literally, God has put laughter in my mouth. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God puts laughter in his mouth. And we're going to look this morning at how that happens, how that came about, and why that's so important. We have to really and fundamentally understand what God has done to understand why Sarah laughs. Because it's not just in that moment, it's a culmination of so many things in her past that arrives in one place right now with the birth of Isaac that allows her to say, God has put laughter in my mouth. And this is the first point. Note takers, heads up, three points. God speaks, God fulfills, God makes us laugh. God speaks, God fulfills, God makes us laugh. That's going to settle the note takers down. They're happy where we're going now. If the rest of you don't take notes, you can relax anyway. We're going to start off with the fact that God speaks. Did you hear what Ginny said? What Ginny brought this morning, was so encouraged. God speaks. God wants to speak to us. God spoke to Abraham and Sarah. Last night, as part of my bedtime reading, I was reading this book called The Pursuit of God by Tozer. Unbelievable book. I'm only halfway through. And these are the words that I read last night. God is forever seeking to speak himself out to his creation. The whole Bible supports this idea. God is speaking. Not God spoke, but God is speaking. He is by his nature continuously articulate. He fills the world with his speaking voice. Now, if that isn't something that God wants us to hear this morning, I don't know what. He is a speaking God. And do you know what it means if God is a speaking God? It means he's a relational God, a God who wants to know us, a God who is self-revealing in order that we can come into relationship with him. And I don't know where you are in your relationship with God this morning. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're thinking. I've got no idea if you're online. Are you even a Christian? Do you know him? But I can tell you this for a fact. God wants to know you and you and you. God is a relational God and he speaks not just to proclaim, not just to direct, not just to command, but that we might know him. And if we think back, back to Genesis 12, we see that God has spoken to Abraham and Sarah. God has called them out. He's asked them to come with him and go to a new place. He's spoken to them and he's asked them to come on a journey with him yes to fulfill his purposes but also to come to know this amazing awesome god god speaks and god chooses to reveal himself to us and god chooses by grace at the end of the european 2020 championships which are happening in 2021 which still is confusing They will allocate a prize to the player of the tournament. Can you imagine the outcry if that was given to someone who only was a substitute, who played no part in the tournament whatsoever, and they give them the player of the tournament? It would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Because our world works on merit. You earn prizes. You earn gifts. And we can begin to think that we earn relationship with God. We can begin to think that Abraham and Sarah have somehow made themselves acceptable to God. They've somehow been very good or been excellent candidates to be chosen to go and travel and work and know God. But we don't read anything of that in the word of God. It's the grace of God. He chooses them. He picks them out. Not on merit, but because he chooses them. And he comes to speak to them because he wants to speak to them. And he comes to speak to us because he wants us. Because he wants to speak to us. Not because we're cool. Not because we've done some good things. Not because we brushed ourselves up and we look okay. He comes because he wants to relate to us. God speaks. And God speaks even more to Abraham and Sarah. Can you remember the promises they received? Amazing promises that God's going to make them into a great nation, that their descendants will be as numerous as the stars, and that they'll be a blessing to the whole world. In fact, they've been chosen to be God's representatives on earth. Wow. And all by grace. They've not earned it, it's not merit. God has chosen them to be his representatives on earth. God speaks. God chooses. And God relates to us. But God also fulfills. God does what he says he will do. Now, it doesn't quite come out in the translation here. But when it says in verses 1 and 2... That the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And in verse 2, at the very time God had promised him. Literally, that means as God had spoken. But we, we change it into a promise. We can kind of up, upgrade it. but We don't have to upgrade God's words. We don't have to say, well, God speaks and then God promises. No, 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 no. God speaking is as secure as any promise anyone could ever make. Because when God speaks, he fulfills. He does what he says he will do. He is the Lord Almighty, and not one of his words falls to the ground unfulfilled. But God has spoken these promises, and there are two significant challenges that these promises face, that essentially God faces and Abraham and Sarah face. This is what God faces he's working with flawed human beings. We've seen that, haven't we? Abraham and Sarah are flawed. They don't get it right. Right, hands up. Confession time. I'm not going to ask you to come to the microphone. It's fine. Who has lied in the last two weeks or deceived? Come on. This is not me doing it for the sake of anything. I'm not, this, isn't, this is true, I, this, I can tell you the story later if you want. Thank you for your honesty. And you online as well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Individuals in Sheffield just sitting there on the sofa like that. <laughs> I lied. Um, we are in really good company, really good company because Abraham and Sarah have lied twice. In fact, Sarah's lied three times. She's done three sets of lying. They've lied to the king of Egypt. They lied to Abimelech. They're not very nice to Hagar. And then Sarah demonstrates this beautiful cynicism when she mocks God. Can you imagine doing that? I mean, I'm not too sure exactly she knows she's doing it, but that essentially is what she's doing. When when God comes and says, you're going to have a child in a year's time, she, she mocks. This is in Genesis 18 and verse 13. But let's see what happens when a mere mortal mocks the Lord Almighty. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? This is what God says. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. It's not this. Wow, you mocked me. You have. That's it. I'm not going to deal with you. I've chosen you, but you have messed up. I called you out. I gave you one job, and you've messed it up. One job. Now, God says this Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will do it. I will do it. He's got this challenge. I'm working with flawed human beings. I've said this. I'm working with Abraham and Sarah. Will the promises come true? Of course they will. He's God. Second challenge. It's Abraham and Sarah again, but it's their physical impossibilities. Their physical impossibilities. Romans 4.19 Talking about Abraham. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's room was also dead. Dead things don't produce life. God has said they'll have a child. Death, life. If you see a squirrel that has been thoroughly squashed on the floor by a car, You can do as much CPR as you want. Don't try mouth-to-mouth with a squirrel, just saying. But if things aren't in place, it's not going to come back to life. It's dead. It's not going to produce life. Dead things don't produce life. Genesis 18 again. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Abraham's good as dead. Sarah's womb is dead. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. God can bring life where death reigns. So the Lord, let's read verse 1 and 2 again. The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he said he would do. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham at his old age at the very time God had said it would happen. I don't know what God said to you, I don't know what He's spoken to you, I don't know how confident you feel to bring about the promises of God, I don't know how alive you feel, but if God has spoken, he will fulfill despite your flaws, despite physical limitations. Let's just drop back into Genesis 15 again for one of the weirdest bits in Genesis. Do you remember? God says, take some animals, chop them in half, boom," and then this pot, smoking pot, goes through the middle of them. Do you remember it? Super weird. Let's remember what the point was. God's making a covenant. This is a covenantal, a promise-keeping thing. And what was meant to happen is that both parties walk through to say, if we don't stand up to our agreements, if we don't fulfill our commitments, let this happen to us. Abraham never ventures into the middle of those animals. God does. God says, I'm going to fulfill it. I'm a covenantal God. I will fulfill the promises. I'm not relying upon you. I'm not relying upon you. I will fulfill the promises. I will bring it about. Why? Because he is God. And when he speaks, he fulfills. When he uses us, he knows we're flawed. And he works with those flaws. When he faces physical difficulties and challenges, do you know what? He brings life where death reigns. God speaks. He fulfills. He makes us laugh. God Make Sarah laugh. Now let's remember, she'd laughed before, hadn't she? Back in Genesis 18, we've looked at that already. It was a cynical laugh. <laughs> as if, as if I'm going to have a child in a year's time. And then God says, you'll name your son Isaac in Genesis 17. is this God rubbing it in with Sarah. You'll name your child Isaac. Isaac. Laughter. And she can think, well, all the thing, only thing I can associate with this child that may or may not come is that he's going to be called laughter. And all I've done is laugh cynically at God. I've mocked God. And now I've got this child that's going to be named constantly reminding me of this cynicism, of this lack of faith. But then Isaac is born. And it isn't that she just laughs, but God in his redeeming way Puts laughter in her mouth. He gives her the gift of laughter, pure joy that comes in this moment, and it's not just a child. It's not just a child of promise. It's God redeeming her cynicism almost. God changing the direction of her life. God changing her faith in that moment. Isaac means laughter. You see, the birth of his baby, a birth of a baby, sorry, always brings joy. But here, God really has done the impossible. He's brought life where death reigns. He's fulfilled his promise. He started making their descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And Sarah, Sarah is right in the middle of this. The mocker, the cynic the liar. She's now the mother of the Son of Promise, a vessel of God's using. God has worked through her despite those things. And this is the point, I think, of her laughter. It's not just, I've had a baby, which is joyful and amazing, but it's looking back on all that happened and gone, God's done this. I can't claim any right in this. God has done this. I've mocked. I've lied. And yet God continues to use me. God has used me to bring about these promises. I'm involved. Look at what the Lord has done through me. The Lord has brought about laughter. But it's the same for us too, isn't it? If we're really honest with ourselves... We can identify with Sarah, can't we? As the cynics, as the liars, as the flawed ones, as the ones who messed up. Do you know something though? God loves working with the messy ones. He loves working with the ones who haven't got it together. You see, he chooses you and me and you and you. He's chosen me in his hilarity and humor to allow me this morning to stand here and bring the word of God to you. Now, if you knew me and what goes on in my motivations, in my heart, my thoughts, you too would think that was one of the biggest jokes today. Forget the dad jokes and the tractor and the farm girl. That is a joke. But I can revel in it. We can revel in it because it's not me. (laughs) It's not my efforts. It doesn't rely on my righteousness. We are relying upon what God can do through us. And so there's a joy and a freedom to revel in our weakness. Paul says this, I, it's almost, I glory in my weakness because in my weakness, God is strong. I don't have to pretend I'm anything other than I am because God is able to work through every weakness and difficulty and flaw that I have to bring about his purposes. So I don't have to pretend to have it all sorted. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! <laughs> We don't have to turn up at our community groups or link groups and pretend that we are assorted, super duper, hyper spiritual Christian. We can go, I've had a naff week and I don't feel like being here, but I'm here, and we can go brilliant because I feel like that some weeks as well. God speaks. God chooses us, God fulfills, and God makes us laugh. And I just want to finish by taking that structure to walk us through the gospel explicitly. I'm going to need a little bit of help here. I wonder if Lily, would you come and help me? So Lily's going to just come and stand in front of me. She's going to be the representative of us. So you stand here, turn around and face everyone, just there, that's it. I'll grab you in a second, all right? You see, the problem with our situation before we know God is that we're in a hole and we are unable to get out of it. We're unable to make ourselves better. The Bible says this, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've not lived up to his standards. We're below where he is. We cannot relate to him on our own terms. We need to remember that. We need to know that for the first time for some of us. We've fallen short of his standards and we could try and get up. We could try and meet with him, but actually it's too high. And every other religion says this. You've got to sort it out yourself. You've got to climb harder. You've got to sort yourself out. If you're going to be right for God, you've got to get yourself sorted. The Bible also says this in Ephesians 1. We're dead in our sins and transgressions. We're dead. From what we said about death? It doesn't produce life. We can't make ourselves alive to God. But gloriously, in Ephesians 1, it says this, before the world was created. Just think about that for a second. It takes a bit of imagination. Before the world was created, let's take ourselves there. God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before we were a twinkle in our parents' eyes, before our parents were born, before our parents' parents were born, before anything, God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Remember, God speaks. God fulfills. God says, I choose you. You've fallen short of my glory. You're dead in your sins. But he also says in Ephesians, but now... I make you alive in Christ. And we heard Ali sing the name of Jesus. Oh, just wanted to scream out and sing out that moment. (laughs) We've got some singing police on our row. One of my daughters is very good at just spotting, stop it singing, stop it singing. So we can't, but it rises up the name of Jesus. Why do we get so excited about Jesus? Why? Because we're in a mess. We're in our sin. We're dead. But the cross of Christ does this. You ready? It lifts us out of our muck. It lifts us out of our hole. And it sets us in relationship with God. God said, you can't do it. You're dead. You've fallen short. But you know something, I'm going to do it. I'll do it on the cross. I'll fulfill it. And your flaws and your physical problems and challenges are not going to stop me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to fulfill my words. I'm going to impute and give you my righteousness so that you can stand with me and be a relationship because I'm a relational God. I want to speak to you. I want to know you. I want to be with you. I'm your father. You're my child. I want relationship with you. I don't want a distant, standoffish relationship. I've saved you. I've dealt with your sin so you can know me intimately. Thank you so much. Do you want to to jump? There you go, thank you. Can we get the band up if that's all right? We forget these gospel truths at our peril. I don't know what lockdown's done for you. uh, generally speaking, it's been kind to us. I know it's been so difficult for so many peoples, but, but I've noticed this. It has eroded my joy. It has reduced my God-given laughter, if you like. And I think, I think partly it's because it's taken me away from the gospel. It's taken me away from the reality of who God is and what he's done. But more than this, he's taken it away from what he saved me from. We don't revel or mess around or dwell on our sin unnecessarily, but if we don't understand where we were without him, we'll never get to the place where we're joyfully celebrating what he's done. You know, If you think you're okay, you're never going to be excitedly praising the name of Jesus. It's never going to fill you with joy. You're never going to be laughing if you think, actually, I'll be honest with you, I thought I was going to get saved because I was pretty good. I didn't do bad at school. Not killed someone. Uh, so yeah, I'm all right. So me and God, we're okay. No, no, <laughs> we're so far short of his glory. So far short of his glory. Sarah, given birth to Isaac, laughter. God has made her laugh and she's nursing, nursing the child of promise. And I can just imagine it continuing to laugh continuing to, to smile, to continue to be filled with joy, not only at the child, but just remembering, oh, do you remember what God's done? Do you remember what God's done? And that's, that's an image of us, of what we need to do. We need to nurse the work of God, what he's done. You don't toss a baby out, do you? <laughs> you look after it. We need to nurse and nourish what God has done. That needs to be our focus we need to remind ourselves on it. We need to live in it. Live in the love of God. Live in the good news of God. So what's the best joke? The best dad joke. Well, it's not a joke. The best joke is this. That God chooses to use people like me and you to fulfill his purposes on this earth. He does it because he speaks and he fulfills irrespective of where we're at. And he's going to make us laugh. One last point. Do you notice what happens in verse six? Sarah says, "God has made me laugh, and when I tell other people about this, they're going to laugh too." Do you know something? It's one of the best evangelistic strategies. If I'm full of the joy of God, if I'm reminding myself of the gospel, it'll sneak out. Can you imagine a, you know, a, a friend or come to Sarah goes, "Sarah, any news? Anything happened?" Well, uh, we've had an extension to the tent, uh, and I got a new Cruisier dish for cooking. Great. <laughs> Nothing else? No, 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 no. She's going to say, "Look, it's my baby, the child of promise. Look what God's done." And we sometimes have a conversation with people, and they say, "What did you do at the weekend?" He said, "Well, I went for a walk, mm, and we hung out with some few friends, and watched a bit of TV." And we forget to mention, and we revelled in the glory of God, <laughs> and we. St- didn't really sing his praises, and we heard the word of God preached, and we laughed, and someone was healed, and then God spoke to us. Now, I'm not telling you to be an authentic Christian. You always have to answer the question in that way. Don't get me wrong. That's not the point. The point is this. When we're nursing the work of God in our lives, when we're genuinely joyful at what he's done, it's going to sneak out. We can't hold it back. The good news had just come out. People say, "What'd you do at the weekend?" You went. Whoa! I had a great time on Sunday morning. What'd you do? I went to a church meeting. It was online, and I still had an amazing time. It still felt God's presence. It's a great evangelistic strategy. No night. No, sorry, there's no neat ending now. Sorry, there's just a few points to throw out because we're running out of time. God speaks. God fulfills. God fills us with joy. God makes us laugh.